Hello and welcome to Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study Podcast. Today we're going to be continuing on on our study in Jude. We will be covering verses 12 through 15. Uh, the title of this message is The Iceberg Sinketh the Ship. So with that, let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for another opportunity, Lord, to share your word. Father, I pray that you would just go before us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Teach us, Lord, and, and draw us to the truth. Father, I thank you, and I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So many of you may know the RMS uh, Titanic. It was a British passenger liner operated by the White Star Line which sank in the North Atlantic Ocean on April 15, 1912, after striking an iceberg. Now, during her maiden voyage from Southampton, Hampton, UK, to New York City. Now, of the estimated 2,224 passengers and crew aboard, more than 1,500 people died, which made the sinking possibly one of the deadliest for a single ship of, uh, up to that time. It remains to this day the deadliest peacetime sinking of a superliner or cruise ship. Now, oftentimes in life, we can easily be caught up in the ease and comforts of life as they relate to the hardships and struggles of reality. Now, for the passengers aboard the Titanic, life was good. They were in a luxury liner, enjoying the good life without a care in the world. But in the dead of the night through, uh, it, and in the peak of celebration is when we usually run into trouble. You know, this ship hit an iceberg. The hull was breached, the frigid water quickly filled the ship, it flexed, it buckled, and it broke in half. Now the comfort and luxury of the easy life quickly turned to the reality and terror of certain death. Now often in our spiritual lives, we can find ourselves in a place of no resistance. It is in those times that we need to be aware of what's in front of us and quickly check our compass for direction. You know, for Christians, our lives are spent in a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into one. You know, it's the life we live as believers, and so we must navigate the frigid waters of life on alert for the iceberg that can soon bring us down. Now, had the crew of the Titanic been alert, the iceberg would have been uh, spotted sooner, and the ship would have sailed into open water, but not so. The thing about icebergs is that you may only see the protruding mound above the water, but underneath the surface, there's a hunk of ice the size of a mountain oftentimes. You know, in Jude 12, we're given a picture of the folly of the false teacher once again. Now, I love how Jude describes these people in that he holds no punches, but goes in hard and accurate when he describes them. So verse 12 says this, These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead and pulled up by the roots. So a false teacher is all about themselves and offers nothing to their followers. You know, the Christian life is about character. It's about growth. It's about redemption and repentance. If we are not changing, we are not growing. If we are not growing, we are, uh, we are in turn regressing. Now, one of the biggest challenges for the church today is keeping a people that is so caught up in ease and availability of comfort aware of the hardships and trial of an actual Christian life. Now, I'm not going to lie. We are in a very, uh, we've become a very soft people. You know, we like things to be easy. We like things to be fast and we like availability. You know, we've gotten so lazy that we went from having to get up and rewind movies, if you think about it, and put them away uh, on the shelf 
to just inserting a disc into a player. And now we've uh, gone even further than that. We don't even have to get off the couch to play a movie anymore with all the streaming stuff that's going on, right? Uh, you know, our lives have gotten softened down. And that's just kind of a, I guess, maybe a bad example. But it's an example of where we are right now. Um, you know, every aspect of our lives has become so convenient that we're sometimes bothered when we have to go and uh, go out and do something hard for ourselves. The concept of effort is lost in a generation obsessed with creature comforts. It, it, it infiltrates every corner of our lives, up to and including the spiritual attitudes of many believers. In turn, a person is unwilling to repent, unwilling to endure trials, and unwilling to face the reality of life in order to pursue a form of fake Christianity that fulfills the need for pleasure, ease, and accommodation to sin. In order to do that, they must turn to a leader or teacher that is willing to offer that type of message and further lead them astray. Now, don't get me wrong, though. The teacher came before the student in all cases. What we have, then, is the continuation of what Jude is writing about when he describes the false teacher. So if we look at verse 12, it says, These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Now, I usually read out of the new, uh, the new King James Version, but I like the way this is translated in the American Standard Version. And it, it reads like this It says, These are they who are hidden rocks in your love feasts. When they feast with you, shepherds without fear feed themselves. So, here in New Mexico, we eat a lot of pinto beans. It, it, it's like a staple food for us, right? Now, if you've ever made a pot of beans before, you know that you have to go through and basically inspect every bean before it goes into the pot. Now, you're going to be putting in, uh, you, you want to go through, you want to sort out all the bad beans, like the ones that are broken in half, stuff like that. But also within the beans, there's always little pebbles, little rocks and stuff like that. And so you want to sort those out and get them out. Because if you just blindly dump a bag of beans into your crock pot and start making these things, what happens is when you go to eat them, you're going to bite down and you're going to be biting down on pebbles and you're going to break your teeth. You know, it's not very, uh, not a very good thing. So you sort through everything that you do. Now, the description is that these guys are there with you and fellowshipping with you. But at the same time, they are the rocks in the bean pot. You know, they seem to be good, wholesome people. But if you follow them, you're going to end up in trouble. You know, shepherds that feed themselves without fear are people that are there leading people, but their intentions are merely on personal gain, not any other form of service. You know, we all see these guys too, right? I mentioned a few weeks ago, you know, the guy with the TikTok videos. Uh, I, I think he's from like Elevation Church or something like that. You know, you got the skinny jeans, you got the, you know, the fashionable shirts, the jackets, the, the perfectly cut hair all the time. And what is the message? The message is always about you right? It's never focused on God winning the, the battle for you. Because let's face it, he is the only one that wins the battle for you. But the message is always, you are enough. Think positively and you will overcome. You, 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 you. You know, Christianity is not religion. Remember that. Christianity is God-centered, not man-centered. You know, God's reaching down, doing what man cannot do. And so when you're teaching that you uh, that man alone can go out there and, and, and survive and save himself and, and, and change his life. You, you know, man doesn't change his life by himself without accountability. And that accountability comes from God. Now, every time with the false teacher, again, the message is centered on you and not on Jesus. 
because their mindsets are on themselves and not on Jesus. Now, if salvation came through positive thinking and personal gain, then Jesus died on the, uh, in vain on the cross. But it doesn't, because we all fall short. We all fail. We have failed, and we will fail again. You know, perfection is not achieved through a desire to be great. It's achieved in the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ and, to, and, and the call to constant repentance through the Holy Spirit. You know, it says here, they are clouds without water, carried about with, by the winds. You know, when my brother and I were out hunting a few weeks ago, there was one day when we were out in the wilderness. Uh, it was getting kind of later in the afternoon, and looking up, we saw what looked like a, a rainstorm coming our way. We packed up. We got to the truck, we returned to camp thinking we were going to get dumped on, but instead the clouds blew away and we had another dry day the next day. You know, this is New Mexico, it happens to us all the time, but sometimes if you're caught off guard, man, it's going to get you. But anyway, you know, it was a hope that we had for rain. And when we saw the clouds, we had a picture of what could be, but again, we were let down because again, New Mexico. But this is the same with the false teacher. They get up. They look promising, but they contain no substance. A cloud without water is just floating vapors. They do not contain the living waters that we are looking for in life. You know, for the false teacher, they are merely providing a form of entertainment with a thinly veiled message of humanism for gain. As the winds of change blow society, so too are they carried about in order to maintain the popularity that they have grown accustomed to. Clouds are always above those that place their hopes in them. Remember that, and when a person finds themselves to be a celebrity, they very rarely turn that status over. Now, it's easy to take courses in public speaking and homiletics. It's easy to give inspirational talks to people seeking inspiration, to tell people what they want to hear and not what they need to hear. But you can give, uh, but can you give sound doctrine and, and theology in a 20-second social media clip? You know, the question is, are people being inspired and empowered, or are people getting saved? You know, is it repentance or is it reassurance? It says here in verse 12 also, they're like late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. You know why there's no message of repentance? You know why everything is centered on a person being great instead of a, uh, a being in submission to Jesus? Because the teacher themselves are not under the submission of Jesus. They're spiritually dead to begin with. They are not concerned with Jesus because they are not of Jesus. Twice dead means that they are spiritually dead, awaiting physical death. They are like dead trees that produce no fruit. They just stand there, dormant, providing little cover from the sun until they go and rot internally and fall over. You know, they produce nothing of value for those that follow them. You know, Jesus gave us a warning about the false teachers. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Men, uh, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree does, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. You're going to see it in their character. You're going to see it play out in their lives and what they're doing. Are they storing up money? Are they, are, you know, vast amounts of money? I'm not saying it's a bad thing to store up money, but, you know, does a person really need $55 million to be a preacher? I, I, I don't think so, you know. D.L. Moody said this, 
when a man is born once, he will have to die twice. But when a man is born twice, he will only have to die once. You know, before a person ever takes the position of authority and teaching, a person must show a transformation in their lives from, uh, from a person of carnality to one see who seeks after holiness. A teacher must be a man who is seeking after Jesus and willing to pull along anybody willing to follow in pursuit of the king. You know, they are to uh, be seeking the approval of God and not the approval of man. In a society of likes and shares, people are easily swayed towards uh, a man's approval over God's. And in turn, they lead others astray. The bigger the Twitter following or whatever, the more that person is going to deviate from the truth to accommodate the ego. In Jude 13, it says, Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of, of darkness forever. So, prophecy without the word is a reservation for darkness. And what I mean by prophecy is anytime that you're speaking in the name of the Lord, you are prophesying. You know, this message here is me prophesying to you guys from the word. You know, we know that the ego drives the false teacher. We know that popularity drives the false teacher. We know that money drives the false teacher. But what does the teacher teach? The verse refers to their message. They do not teach the word of God. They do not teach the truth, the principles or the prescriptions of the word. You know, they may read a passage. They may refer to a verse from time to time that fits their narrative, but it's never a true application of the word. Instead, these guys are there uh, that, that put their time into teaching on current events and in, in the news. If the world goes woke, for instance, the message that Sunday is going to be woke as well. They are not giving the word. They are giving opinion. Now, I think it's very important we understand what is going on around us at all times. I think it's important that we watch the news and stay up on current events. But current events are not uh, what are going to save us. Current events are showing us that the return of Jesus is imminent. You know, they are not a means of salvation, but a culmination of the epic of salvation. One of the reasons that I believe in verse-by-verse -verse teaching is because when you do so, you are under the authority of the Word. You are not playing Bible roulette, just flipping pages and finding some place to stop and teach for that day. You are not inventing topics and using scriptures to support your point of view. What you are doing is teaching under uh, the authority of the Holy Spirit through the whole counsel of God. You know, we see the term wandering stars in this verse, and it refers to the lack of direction for the, that the false teacher is pr presenting. A wandering star is just a star out there without order. It moves about in the darkness of space, alone and uncharted. It says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? You know, this is a reference to hell and the reality of hell. These guys, for all their pomp and circumstance, all their fame and popularity, are all destined to an eternity in hell. They're literally the ones cast out into outer darkness. They will wish that hell was literally fire and physical pain instead of the separation and isolation that they will face. You know, it's just black and empty, the level of hell that they will endure. You know, hell is not a place run by the devil like popular opinion likes to try and say, but it is the very place that he will be cast into alongside the false teacher that has aligned himself with the devil. Remember, it's God that has created everything, and that includes hell. And that means it is God's real uh, a, a realm to control 
to, in punishment just as much as heaven is his to control and reward. And you know, it makes me sad to see these guys out there with the fo the followings and the platforms that these guys have to uh, to go out there and teach and influence people. You know, I would love to see all these guys repent. I would love to see them all come back to the Lord. I would all love to see all these guys, you know, take up real training, get into some real exegesis, get into some real uh, hermeneutics and study the word and, and use their time wisely. Rede you know, redemption is there for every man. But the problem is, you know, the ego, the the following, the the popularity, it's hard to let go of, especially for the carnal man. And so, uh, you know, we definitely prayed that these guys would change, but at the same time, we cannot bless the work that they're doing because what they're doing in turn is leading other people away from the Lord. They're leading other people away from the truth. You know, they might give a little bit of truth, but a whole lot of, uh, of untruth comes with it as they're seeking to lead people in their direction and not in the direction of God. Verse 14 says this, Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, uh, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So apostasy will be met with judgment at the return of Jesus. So we do not know much about Enoch other than the you know what we know from Genesis chapter 5 we know that he walked with God and that God took him he never actually died but was away, uh, uh, but was taken up to heaven alive now consider that when God took him immediately after we find the story of Noah and God's judgment on the world in the flood now what this leads us to is a picture of the end times as we understand the order that is to come the book of Enoch, as we know, is an apocryphal book. It is a history, and it is not canonized. You know, it was around as late as the second century and is quoted by the early church again, uh, though it is not canonized. You know, there's little bits and pieces like this prophecy, and I, there's another one in, in this book. Uh, Paul mentions it once or twice, but that's about it. You know, if God wanted that whole thing canonized, it would be, but, but it isn't. So, uh, you know, sometime after the second century, it was lost. And then again, in 1773, it was found in a copy of an Ethiopic Bible in its entirety. So we do have that history to go back and look forward to. That's how we know what Jude is talking about, what he's mentioning when we, we see these verses in here. Now, this prophecy is one that the Lord wanted us to know. And so it was given to Jude by the Holy Spirit for us to have. You see, in order for the Lord to return with ten thousands of his saints at his second coming, his saints need to be taken up to be with him beforehand. So what we have is proof of the rapture uh, when the church, the invisible church, are called up to meet with Jesus in the air. We often equate the rapture with the second coming of Jesus because he is present, but that is not entirely accurate. At the rapture, Jesus does not fully return to earth. Remember, we meet him in the air. And we can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Uh, we'll by no means precede those who are asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So what we know right now is that when the Lord calls us home, the dead will rise first and the living believers will meet them in the air afterwards. At this point, we have a return to heaven. Uh, you know, we will return to heaven uh, as we as the church, as the raptured believers, will then be in fellowship with Jesus physically as the time of the tribulation takes place. Now, what happens to those that didn't get raptured? Well, as we know, there are two factions that make up the church as a whole. We have the visible church and we have the invisible church. The visible church, again, is the church, that, uh, the members that make up the outwardly believing group and the invisible church, those that are fully sold out to the Lord and living inward lives as believers. You know, the invisible church is the church that will be called home. The visible church are going to be those that are left behind. Now, what happens with that group? Then will be a turn towards a total apostasy, in my opinion. You know, these are the folks that like the idea of God. They will have some sort of involvement, but never actually know God. And when they are left behind, they're going to go. They're going to turn on him. Now, why is a right view of theology important? Because we get to know God through His Word. When uh, and when the Word says that there will be people that claim to know God but have no relationship with Him, you better believe it's going to happen as such. If we look at Luke chapter thirteen, verse twenty-two, it says. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying through Jerusalem, uh, toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where, uh, where are you from? Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Now, why are these people left out? Because they taught a false doctrine. They did not believe the revelation of the Holy Spirit, but they taught the message of, uh, of the God of their bellies. Why won't something like this be taught in the uh, in the emergent church settings today, like this passage right here? Why don't you see the scripture expounded on on the TikTok videos that all these popular guys are making? Because it's a negative message, and negative thinking goes against the feel-good religion of the visibly outward worshiping church. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this parable scares the daylights out of me. You know, it's something I think about every time I go up to teach. Every time I pray for somebody, I don't want to be that person that does not have any standing in the presence of the Lord. I don't want to teach my opinions. I want to teach the truth of God. So that is my focus. You know, it's important. I think it's important that we look at these things as well as consider them in our own lives. As we look at the direction of our lives. If we're sitting back and thinking about how uh, we're never in any trials, how everybody just loves us and we don't ever get offended, uh, uh, offend everybody. We kind of have to examine ourselves and see if we are living according to the word. Because today the word is offensive, it is divisive, and it is unpopular.
And if you're going out and you're living according to the word in this day and age, you're going to be all those things. You're going to be divisive. You're going to be offensive. You know, you're going to be, uh, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb in the crowd. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the, uh, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, the word of God cuts deep. It's offensive. It's convicting. Man, when you read something in the Bible and you know you're caught in that sin, doesn't it hurt? Doesn't it, like, you know, it shares, it scares me. It shakes me. And I repent and I pray and I say, Lord, I, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Help me. We, you know, we cry out. But if we're living for the world, we're just reading it. And we're saying, oh, yeah, I read my Bible today. I'm good. You know, it, it's not changing us. It's not building in us. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, it says, Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his daughter, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, if we are living in harmony with the world, then we are part of the world. Now, people do not recognize, uh, they do recognize character. They do recognize people that love other people for no other reason than, uh, than Jesus loves them. And, all, and so it spills over, but people do not like it. They reject it. They mock it in this day and age. You know, you go ask some of these guys, uh, you know, a, a celebrity, a guy like Tim Tebow, you know, exudes character. But what happens to him every time he gets an opportunity? He's put down. And it all comes back to him being Christian. It all comes back to him believing in Jesus. But you know what? It doesn't matter. When you're sold out for the Lord, people will say whatever they want to say. But you do not change. You know, the apostate church will be separated from God because they do not know God. Their message is not a message of repentance or grace through faith. It's a message of self-gratification by self-glorification. You know, it's not about Jesus. Jesus is the bumper sticker on the back of the bus. It's about you. It's about being the best version of you. It's about vision boards and goals and likes and shares. It's about health and wealth and prosperity and popularity. Christianity in its purest form is the opposite of religion. It is God reaching down and giving man what, what man cannot gain through religion. Uh, in man reaching up to grab uh, a God that it cannot uh, attain. You know, John MacArthur says it best when he says there are only two religions in this world. The religion of divine accomplishment, which is Christianity, and the religion of man's accomplishment, which is everything else. You know, we have to be on point with that. We have to realize that Jesus is our salvation and nothing else can bring that. Not us, not our positive thinking, not our, our wealth, not our riches, not our, our gains, our goals, or anything else like that. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's a message that's gone back for, uh, for a long time. Right. Um, if we look at Genesis, for uh, example, in chapter 11, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass. As they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. That uh, You know, they had brick and stone, for they had asphalt and mortar. 
And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, let us, uh, lest we be spotted, uh, scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. You know, when men try to make a name for themselves as a means of divinity, they are destined for destruction. Even the greatest of intentions, the de uh, with the greatest of intentions, the delusion of man's heart and intentions of, is, is blasphemy towards God, and that is unforgivable. You know, what, what happened with these guys when they were building the Tower of Babel in Genesis here? They were trying to reach up to the heavens. They were trying to get to God by themselves. And what did God do? He looked down. He saw that. He said, you know what? These guys are all unified and coming after me. And so he, he knocked down the tower and he scattered the whole planet, of, uh, all the peoples abroad. Right? They were all over the place. He confused the language. He, he changed the direction, the course of human history from that point on. Verse 15 says, To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, and all, uh, of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, we see these churches, as they call them, uh, as they call themselves these days, thriving on the prosperity doctrine and its lust for money. We see these heretics on TV. Uh, that we all know to be heretics, masquerading about as people that pretend to care about others. We all know the megachurch influences that have become common in our day and age. I tell you what, it turns people off to God when they see it. They see what looks like and smells like just plain greed. You know, we see recent examples of guys like Dr. Uh, like uh, James McDonald in Illinois being disgraced uh, uh, and having losing his uh, his ministry because of his greed. You know, it was found out that he was drawing a $500,000 salary and living in a $1.9 million estate while teaching the Word. His model was to create several campuses and telecast his message to each one every week. Now, the problem with that is that one person becomes greater than everybody else. The model of the church is to raise up and send people out, but that is not something that is accomplished when one person is leading five huge buildings. You know, people go to church because they want to know God. They need counseling. They need prayer. They need fellowship. They need connection. You cannot connect with the pastor that's two counties over uh, in another building. You cannot connect with a movie screen or a projector. A person like that makes themselves out to be bigger than the message itself. You know, we know, uh, we, we all have our favorite teachers. We all have cell phones and computers and smart TVs where we can watch these guys. You know, I like to listen to pastor's conferences. I like pastors that are in Philadelphia, in Diamond Bar, and many other places. But I like them because they teach the Word. They teach it faithfully. They teach it methodically. It's okay to have ministry that reaches far and wide, so long as the message is Jesus. And, it, you know, if the point of the ministry is to make yourself famous or get on TV, you fail. You know, the point for us is, and, and I know it sounds like a broken record, we have to check everything against the word. We must be Bereans. We must be students. It is a, uh, if it's super popular, it's probably a lie and worldly. If all you get is a positive, if positive verses in a message, you're being taken for a ride. You know, here's one for you. If your church has a message pertaining to giving and position within the church before anything else starts, you're in the wrong place. You know, if the need to open a Bible or uh, to hear a message is not presented, I think I would just leave that place. You know, there are churches far and wide nowadays 
with the cloak of Jesus covering a world of sinfulness. It's experience over op, uh, exposition. You know, it's passion over piety. It's dollars over divinity. They may speak Christianese. They may have all the, uh, the fellows in skinny jeans with the forearm tattoos walking around. The ladies dressed like they're in Macy's catalogs on stage playing a part. But they're presenting a reality that is not real. You know, the truth of the church is, the truth is that we're all messed up. Uh, you know, we're all pretty off. And the offness is made up, uh, made up by Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross. That's how we come to him. You know, he didn't come to make us part of a system. He, he came to make us part of his kingdom. And the only way we get there is in submission to the word, by faith in the grace that he has for us. You know, the these false teachers are not going to sacrifice for me or you the way Jesus did. They will not endure the hardships that Jesus endured to show uh, uh, us the way. And they for sure have not taken up their cross, uh, the, you know, the way he has. There's only one way to God, the Father, and that is through the man Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It's not me, or in, and it's not you, it's him. So we must be aware of the iceberg that is small on the surface, as always gargantuan underneath. You know, is the message soft on sin? Then it's floating on a mountain of sin. You know, is there... It, uh, it's those little bumps in the road, those little potholes that change the direction. You know, if you're not careful of what you're doing, beware of who you follow, because who you follow may lead you straight to hell. You know, we might only see a little bit of this person. We might only see the little bit of character that a person exudes while they're in church or in the public eye. But you've got to remember that underneath the surface, there's a whole lot more there, just like the iceberg. Father God, Lord, thank you for your warnings. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for this epistle of Jude. Lord, that we might examine ourselves and examine our hearts, Lord. That we can look at everything objectively. That we can look at everything discerningly, Lord. And understand what's going on. Father, I pray that you would just go before us, Lord. That you would open our eyes and open our hearts to the truth, Lord. That in everything that we see, we can be critical of. Because we do have to judge the things of, uh, of, of your word, Lord. We have to judge them against what we see in front of us each and every day. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us that discernment, that you would give us that wisdom to make the right choices. Father, I thank you, and I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.